1: From physical wellness to emotional and spiritual, we hear courageous
0: stories and focus on why it's important to share them. We are both certified integrative nutrition health coaches and together with our community are learning to live our most purposeful lives by sharing one courageous story at a time. It takes courage
1: to share these journeys, and by talking about them, we aim to destigmatize the process. We want you to be your own health advocate, feel educated and informed on the latest in health and wellness, and empower you to feel your absolute best.
0: And because we want to bring forth a wide variety of stories, the opinions of our guests do not necessarily reflect our own, but we hope the diverse and varied stories will empower you to make the best choices for your own life. So join us as we and our community share our courageous wellness. On today's episode of the podcast, we have the most inspiring conversation with Melissa Bernstein, Melissa, along with her husband, Doug is the co-founder of the toy company, Melissa and Doug, which has created over 5,000 children's products and sold billions of dollars of toys since its inception. Raised by educators, Melissa and Doug started the business in their garage in 1988, and they've been on a mission ever since to provide open-ended, inventive, and non-technologically driven playthings for young children. Today, we have a different conversation with Melissa about her personal lifelong battle with severe depression and anxiety, which she is chronicling in her first book, Lifelines, out this month.
1: Throughout Melissa's remarkable career, She had kept her lifelong debilitating battle with existential depression a secret. In Lifelines, she hopes to help others who are suffering through her beautiful poetry, support, and her own transformation, which we discussed today. Melissa's book also heralds the launch of lifelines.com, an online ecosystem she and Doug are underwriting to provide support and community to anyone else struggling with their mental health. Melissa lives in Connecticut with Doug and their six children. We do want to share a trigger warning since we do discuss depression, anxiety, and briefly cover Melissa's experience with suicidal thoughts, all while running a massively successful business. We truly have a beautiful conversation with Melissa and appreciate her honesty, her vulnerability, and her courage to share her incredible wellness journey with
0: us. Enjoy the episode. This episode is sponsored by Milk and Honey. Guys, I am so excited to share our new sponsor, Milk and Honey, with you because I have been using their baking soda-free deodorant exclusively for over two years. This gentle, aluminum-free, baking soda-free deodorant was designed to nourish sensitive skin while keeping you feeling and smelling fresh all day long. When i decided that i wanted to make the switch to a clean aluminum free deodorant i tried so many different brands and each and every time i was plagued with those red itchy bumps under my arm on top of not feeling confident whatsoever that i did not smell milk and honey not only never once gave me those pesky little red bumps but also passed the smell test even after some of la's toughest workout classes this is my ride or die deodorant, and we are so excited to partner with them.
1: Milk and Honey is a line of non-toxic, effective and safe bath, body and skincare products made in small batches in Austin, Texas. They source ingredients as hyper clean as possible, which means both choosing organic and making thoughtful, informed choices on safe ingredients. Milk and Honey is a female founded and funded brand. And in addition to clean deodorant, they also carry non toxic bath, body, and skincare products like hydration creams, cleansers, soaps, body polish, and lots more that will make you feel nourished inside and out. If you want to try Milk and Honey, you can receive 15% off your order by visiting milkandhoney.com and using the code CWPodcast, one word, at checkout. You can also find the direct link in our show notes.
0: We have an exciting new discount for our listeners with Four Sigmatic. Erica uses the Lion's Mane in her morning superfood coffee.
1: And even though I hate mushrooms, I absolutely love the products, especially the matcha latte powder, which contains my mushrooms and adaptogens. For 10% off Four Sigmatic products, visit foursigmatic.com and use the code COURAGEOUS at checkout. And
0: there's also a direct link in our show notes. Thank you so much, Melissa, for joining us today. We are so excited to have you and to discuss your personal journey. Um, Yeah, there's so much to get into, so let's just begin. Can you please start by telling us just a little bit about your background, who you are, and your journey into wellness, which is always how we begin. And I know that means so much to you, your own wellness journey.
2: That is so true. And thank you so much for having me. It means the world to me. Wow, that's a long story, that whole journey. I will try to make it a a hike. Uh, you know, I think I have spent the last 32 years creating toys at our toy company, Melissa and Doug. And my husband and I founded this company when we were just 22 and 24, right out of college. And just dating. We weren't even like a a formal couple, which in those days was like, you don't do things like that. Uh, And it's been, you know, a glorious three decades, but I think all the while I was hiding a really deep, dark secret, not only from the world, but from myself too, Mm -hmm. which was that all that creativity was birthed out of this really deep, dark, despairing pain That I was afflicted with from the time I was born. So, you know, I only started connecting the dots actually in my late 40s, which makes it so incredible and such a a wild story for me. But I have been afflicted with something called existential depression uh, from very early on. And existential depression doesn't have a trigger. There's no thing that i experienced that gave me it i was just born with it Mm. so i think realizing that after so many years of really feeling like i didn't belong that i didn't fit in that no one would ever understand me and also not understanding why i created so effortlessly like for me, that was the only thing I seemed to be able to do that didn't afflict me. You know, everything else, talking to people, uh, you know, doing sports, things that most people could do effortlessly for me were the hardest things ever. Mm-hmm. And creating was like my breathing. It was as effortless for me as breathing, yet making me so different, I didn't accept it or appreciate it one bit. In fact, you know, throughout my life, I tried to kill myself many times for just those qualities that gave me the ability to create. So I think the wellness journey now is because once the dots started connecting and I started seeing that these very qualities that I so despised in myself were actually the qualities that gave me my salvation, I realized that I had a duty And a responsibility to all those out there who have felt similarly lost, alone, that they don't belong, to speak for anyone who is one of those creatives hiding in the shadows and feeling like, you know, their life has no meaning because the very thing they're doing by creating beautiful things out of pain, that is their meaning. Mm. And the world deserves to accept them so that they can bring those creations to life and touch the world with them.
1: Thank you so much for sharing that. I think that was beautifully succinct for what an epic sort of journey that you've been through and are on. And um, I'm curious when you, when you reference the time, like it took until your late forties to become really honest with yourself and connect those dots for yourself too was there something that um that was like not the trigger because you said this is not like a triggered type of depression but was there something that really instigated that for you in your in your life to to sort of face that in a way
0: yeah and just there- to b- before you begin to i just for anybody who's not familiar can you also define what existential depression is um as well if If anyone is hearing that for the first time and may also be struggling with it.
2: So believe it or not, I had never heard those words and never knew what it meant myself. And the trigger, because there was a trigger for the dots to connect. Mm -hmm. And the trigger was a book I read called Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl, which uh, is on my book list uh, for one of my favorite books. Uh, because in that book, he was in a concentration camp and really struggled to find meaning, obviously, in the face of that terror. When he got out, he wrote about how he started studying logotherapy, a form of existential analysis. And I always fancied myself like good with words and read the thesaurus for fun as a child. That's what people like me do. That's our fun. (laughs) But When I read the definition of it for the very first time, again, in my late forties, I believe I dropped to the floor like sobbing because it was exactly what I had felt my whole life, which is I had started with what's called existential nihilism, which is this sense that life has absolutely no meaning. It's a meaninglessness and futility around life. And even more importantly, the question of what is the meaning of life itself and what am I doing here and what am I meant to do while I'm here? So it's really hard to solve, especially when you're two and three, which is why many people suffer in silence because they can't find an answer to those questions. So the first dot for me was when I read that definition, Mm -hmm. And then reading further, it said, it turns out that those who are afflicted with existential depression tend to be the most highly creative people, those who are open to pondering higher realities, and of course, think about things that are maybe out there. Uh, And when it listed some of those who had been afflicted, and many of whom died of mania, numb themselves through uh, abuse or killed themselves, I I also like fell to my knees because it was people like Vincent van Gogh and Michelangelo and Ernest Hemingway and just these prolifically Mozart, Beethoven, you know, prolific creators who, of course, I wasn't in the category of, but just to know that there were other people whose channel had been the same of mine was incredible. And then the second dot was those who were afflicted with existential despair also had what are called over excitabilities, which, which is a an arousal of your central nervous system in five distinct areas, which make your sensitivity to stimuli to the world and to experiences much more heightened than maybe other people. And, you know, I had written about the fact that I always felt like my tuning knob was turned all the way up to the highest level. Like if you had an amplifier and you had all these knobs, someone just took them all and just went And that was exactly what being in me was. It was like everything was at the highest level. And I wrote a verse when I was just like five years old, which was, please turn off the noise. I've lost track of the joys. I can't hear anymore with this deafening roar. I can't see anymore with this staggering light. I can't feel anymore with this stifling fright. And that was the sense. It was like, it was like, you know, made you want to claw yourself out of your own body. So these overexcitabilities are in five areas. They're in intellectual, imaginational, emotional, sensual, all your senses, and psychomotor. And once I saw the definitions of those, I became further in awe because I could have written those definitions. And the definition of someone who has overexcitabilities said that they manifest them in one category, to be considered uh, overexcitable. And I had all five to the highest degree. So that was when maybe for the first time ever, I I think I cried for three days Mm -hmm. because finally someone was telling me why I was the way I was. And I guess the biggest sense was I'm not alone anymore. Like that was the the thing that was most profound was I am no longer alone and also now I know why I create like this and why it's the creation has tormented me ever since I was 2 years old because it's just my channel for this profound despair. Sorry that was long. No, thank you so much. That was
1: beautiful and I want to just point out, we're going to go a little bit more into your book, but I want to point out that you do describe that too. So for anyone listening, I, I really recommend, um, whether, whether you're just curious about this or it's something you can deeply relate to pick up the book because it's really, it really, what I find is, and I'm not all the way through, but what I have found so far in the experience of reading it, even as someone who is highly creative but has has not experienced what you're discussing with um, existential depression, it still makes so much sense. And, uh, and, and it gives insight into the types of these highly creative individuals. And you are in that category. I mean, it's funny when we talk about like, Modern day, it's different than the way that we look on historical figures. But you know, as far as like twenty twenty one goes, these even just the the creativity that you've brought to the world and for so many children. Um, it's, it's massive. It's been like globally impactful. And so in its own way, yeah, you are in that company, but to know, to understand like how people can just generate such incredible work that the world still values and still, you know, we still get, um, such beauty and meaning out of works of art that are centuries and centuries old. So, um, I'm curious now that you understood this for yourself and felt this sort of sense of belonging for the first time with with the expe- the way you experience the world, um, did you did that shift your perspective in the way that you now deal with times of feeling
2: despair? Like, do you look at your despair differently now? So connecting those first two dots was only the beginning because the truth was I was a long way from feeling okay. Mm -hmm. That only sparked me to want to do the work that I have now been doing for the last four years, which was for the first time ever. To stop racing. You know, one of the volumes of my book is called The Feudal Race, which I was engaged in to endless degrees, which was racing as far away as I could from feeling the despair that was really in my soul, just distracting, avoiding, denying, repressing. You can name every coping mechanism. I did all of them, every one to such a degree to avoid feeling what i was terrified would submerge me so the next step was to admit that okay i now have a sense for the why but i still haven't accepted these things in myself i still all i wanted my whole life was to be like you guys to look look a certain way and fit in and have everything be effortless and attract throngs of people who were like basking in my glow and you know, that was not who I was at all. You know, I spoke through my hands. Like I didn't really talk very much because I felt like I couldn't speak in a way that didn't sound awkward and forced and like I was trying too hard. So I really uh, wanted desperately to fit in but never accepted myself and rejected every person who wanted to be my friend because they they were weird. The people who wanted to be my friends were the ones like just like me but like i'd look at them and in a very punishing bad way say like i don't want to be friends with you like you're not who i want to be friends with trying in vain to be friends with the ones who i had nothing in common with and i'd say you know if i have one regret it's really that because of that i really never developed any meaningful friendships at all through my life because I was struggling to fit in with people who I wasn't at all like. So that journey to accept myself became the greatest like journey of my life. Uh, And the hardest thing I've ever had to do is really to make that journey inward. Um, When you are someone who believes that perfection means you can only show one emotion, I had one emotion on my whole emotional spectrum. It was great. How are you? Great. Nothing else. And I never once felt anything my whole life. I don't even remember feeling anything other than great, uh, fine. Perfect. Because I had this flawed mind belief that I had to be perfect. And that was my coping mechanism against the things I couldn't control in life, which were my mortality, you know, life's meaning these big things. So you take control of the things you can, which are, you know, your body and your, your performance. So I think, uh, I don't know if that answered your question, but I didn't learn how to accept my despair until I started to make that journey inward. And I'm still making it. I'm maybe half there. It's, it's un—it's truly incredible,
0: right? To listen to your story, Melissa, because outwardly, right? Like looking at you, you are, it's like, who would ever, I certainly, right? I think societally, we would never think this. You are, you know, you founded this conglomerate company that helps people, right? That actually also helps children. Um, So you're successful in your career. You're a wife and a mother of six children, right? So outwardly, you have everything that should quote, make you happy, right? Or give you meaning in life. And so I think like, it's so interesting. And Ali and I, we were discussing this and we discuss this so often because it's like this concept of I feel like so often we all do this, but you know, we're young women, so we can only like relate to the, you know, this experience of young women. It's like, when I get X, I will be happy, right? When my career is here, when my marriage is here, when I'm a mother, if that's something people want, right? Like when I get all these external things, I will be happy. And so I'm just curious how, like how you are building this, how you are raising your, like You mentioned, right, this, well, perfection was how I was keeping it all together, but I'm sure too, how did that feel, right, to have all of this outward success and still be struggling with these these
2: issues inside? It's a great question. You know, one of the reasons I am coming out is because of just that. I want to show everyone that it isn't about the external things and you can have everything. And I have everything, like there's nothing wrong at all. I have the most amazing husband you could ever imagine. I met him when I was 19. We've been together 35 years. Like he's the sweetest, kindest, he loves me so much. I'll get emotional. I have incredible kids. Like, you know, if you saw a photo of us, you'd be like, oh, you know, figures. But the truth is if your inner self is empty, nothing you can get on the outside will bring you fulfillment. And, you know, one of the saddest days of my life was when Kate Spade took her life. And she and Andy had a lot in common with Doug and myself. And I really felt like their journey was very similar to ours. And when I read the comments that people said about that, like, she couldn't have been depressed. She had everything, you know, comments about sort of the station she was in life and that you couldn't feel that way. That even made me more intent to sort of dispel those myths that people who are at a certain station in life can't feel those things. It has nothing to do. This is all about in here. It hasn't. In fact, if anything, just getting all those material things makes it more obvious how empty you are. It only highlights your emptiness. And they say, you know, many times people who haven't reached where they want to go, they do okay their whole lives because they're always striving for something. They have something to hold on to. But when you have it all, then it's very glaring. There's really nowhere else to go except inward. And that's kind of where I reached that juncture. Like I can't keep chasing out there because there's not really that much more to chase. Like the only, I got to finally admit that I got to stop running, stop acquiring, so to speak, and, and make the journey inward. So, uh, I do want to rip that you know, that facade off like perfection and that that's going to give it to you. It's not, I can tell you, unfortunately it's not.
1: Yeah. Um, I think it's, I think it's really important and, and, um, like a real value for you to share this, like a real value for other people, you know, Erica and I, we originally met because we practice a form of Buddhism together and we talk about this on the show sometimes, but the themes that you're talking about really ring true to sort of like the spiritual practice, which is where it's really about going in and facing um, before transformation can happen. Um, And so I just, I find that to be really interesting and then, but also important because I don't think that we live in a society that Reflects that to us. Um, so we're led to believe, like develop different beliefs about it. And uh so someone like you, in, in the position that you're in, sharing this story, I think um sheds a different kind of light for people about that, and about I think a belief that a lot of us hold because we've been taught that. And then kind of going along that line, how you mentioned the perfectionism. And I actually, it's like a little further than I am in your book, but I jumped ahead to some of the poetry. And I want to talk a little bit more about the actual book in a minute, but the poetry in the um, perfectionism and martyrdom section, I just was like every single thing, just really, I was just reading some to Erica earlier because we recently did an episode all about breaking Codependency, perfectionist thinking, um, with a woman who who does a lot of deep work and helping people sort of like transform these belief sets that we have. But um, the way you talk about it as a coping mechanism, I think, is a really interesting way to to view it and an important way to view it because um, if we don't, if we look at it, we're like if we're not meeting these standards, these sort of perfectionist thinking. There's constantly a shame cycle that people can go in as well, which is really can be very can create even more despair, I think. And then um some of the poetry in that section for me really rang true to some of the bigger themes that we're dealing with right now as a society. And using the importance of using our voice, using your voice, not allowing necessarily the status quo to dictate our behavior because we have something to contribute and nothing's going to change until we get sort of that courage to move outside of the people pleasing and outside of the perfectionist thinking. And so I just wanted to share that. That's something that really stuck out to me where it's like, this isn't just this kind of breaking these thought patterns, breaking these sets of beliefs are not only important for the individual, but I think it's really important for the greater good right now. We want to take a quick break from this episode to tell you about our health coaching subscription service on Patreon. The Courageous Wellness Collective has expanded on Patreon to bring listeners and clients an all-access accessible platform to educate, inform, and create nutrition and lifestyle
0: habits to meet your personal goals. For $8.99 a month, patrons will receive weekly video content on topics ranging from blood sugar stabilization, gut health, hormone balance, energy, sleep, skin health, how to shop the grocery store, pantry staples, and much more. Included, you'll also receive access to monthly virtual events, recipes, awesome giveaways, and special guest content too. With this subscription, you are guaranteed at least four pieces of fresh health coaching content each month.
1: To learn more and become a patron, visit patreon.com forward slash courageous wellness, or check out our show notes. We look forward to welcoming you to our coaching community. Thank you for that. And I'm going to use that to segue into talking. I'd love to talk a little bit about your poetry. And because we know you as a toy maker and we know that as the creative sort of outlet that you've taken on the on the larger scale. But you're such an amazing writer. And this is this is my I was a drama major. This is my nerding out with like literature. And I just, and Erica's a big reader too. And we um she said she was getting more into poetry lately too and i i'm just so happy to have it's such a beautiful collection because for any listeners who haven't yet experienced your book when they're listening to this it's it's the way melissa writes is she, it's sharing her story but then she weaves in um m- much of your poetry throughout the years that you and your words and it's interesting you're saying like you're not a word person, but I was like, no, you are, you are a word person. And um, it's, yeah, it's really beautiful. And um, so I'd love to talk to you about your relationship with writing verse. You were talking a little bit earlier about at age five, you started writing this. And can you share with us a little bit about this aspect of your creativity?
2: Absolutely. You know, just to hear you call it poetry, like brings tears to my eyes because Uh, I don't know if you, you read the part where, you know, I I don't, I can't even call it poetry because I was rejected from a MFA program in my, uh, I think it was my, maybe my mid twenties. And, you know, they said that my poetry was too simple to ever be accepted. I love the way you
1: explain it as like, he said, like he rejected you as sophomoric. And I was like,
2: what, this is beautiful. And it's relatable.
1: People can like digested as well. So that's, I don't know. That's my two cents, but
2: yeah, please continue. I, I appreciate that, but it made it so that I stopped writing for 25 years. Truly. I didn't write any verses for 25 years. I channeled it all into making toys. So, you know, I think when you are a creative person, and again, it's even taken me many years to even think of myself as creative, because to me, you know, I've never been one to use labels and, but creativity comes through you in many different forms. Uh, and that's how, you know, whenever I interview creatives for Melissa and Doug, I always ask them, like, what do you create? And if they say just one thing in one discipline, that's amazing. But I I think of that more as a honed skill. If they say, what do you mean? What do I create? I create everything. I, I do art. I do photography. I cook. I, you know, take photos. I I photograph, I act, then I know, like, I want to see that it is part of every cell of their being. And to me, that's like, when my heart sings. So I think for me, you know, I love to create, it's, it's who I am. And it is my salvation, because it's the way I channel the chaos. So if you if you were to go in my head, you would see utter chaos reigning, Um, It is a very dark, dismal, it's a prison in there. Um, And it's really, really despairing. And I got to get out of there. (laughs) Like I, and, and part of the meaning was step on out of the head, moving into the heart, free to channel all dread into jubilant art. It was the act of how can I take what's here, what will kill me if I allow it to submerge me? And how can I move it, channel it out here, and and channel it into something jubilant so that I can I need to see tangible form from the chaos that is pretty that is something more beautiful than that writhing pile of just ugliness so it was the act of channeling and I find it incredible that I had such a need to make order from the chaos that I innately did it because The verses just appeared in my head completely finished um, from the time I could remember. And I never knew where to put them because I would be like, oh my gosh, there's another one as a kid. And it was like, where am I supposed to put this? It's sitting up here. And music too, compositions did the same thing, like songs. And you're, you're like four or five years old and you're like, here I am sitting here. What am I supposed to do? And it wasn't the day where you had your phone there, you know, you had to like find something or not find it. Like, and most of the time I like tried to just deny it and submerge it, but like they never, they would just, it was like a, it was like a thorn in your body. It just wouldn't leave until you, you, you wrote it. And then once you wrote it or composed it, then another one, came. it was like, it was unending. So. Because I wasn't channeling it effectively. You know, I was, I was trying to resist it and repress it and deny it. Uh, and it wasn't until I started, you know, embracing them and allowing them that it was like, whoo, these babies are coming, they're coming fiercely. You know, they just started to really, um, really channel in in a much less damaging way. Mm. And Your book
0: is so beautiful. And I know your mission too with Lifelines is also to create right community for others who are also experiencing so much of what we've discussed um, throughout this episode and your rejection, right? And, and how you stopped really like writing in this way for 25 years because of it, you know, that, that really um, when Allie and I were speaking about that part of your book, it really touched me and it made me think a lot because I think so many people are creative, right? Like so many people are creative, but might also not be recognized for it, right? Or successful with it or rejected from something. And, and we mentioned, right, like striving can keep people going, right? They keep striving and, and they do get there. And a big, um, part of our Buddhist practice too, is like this concept of never giving up on yourself and your dreams, but it can feel, I think for a lot of creatives, right, this lack of recognition and success in these fields that they love so much can be like adding to that depression and, and dread. And so what advice would you have for those creatives who have been rejected and are still striving, you know, many, many years later?
2: I love that question. It's the best and it's it's related to the verse I said, it's always living in the heart, not the head. So the heart is the verb, the head is the noun. So when it's like, I'm not successful, I haven't been accepted, I'm you know a failure. It's all the noun, it's the end goal, the joy and the act. Is in the verb. It's in the doing, and that's where the the beauty is. It, it doesn't matter whether it's accepted or not. What matters is how it makes you feel. And if it if it's your lifeline, if it gives you joy in channeling it into whatever it is, you have to allow that. And you know, one of the things with Melissa and Doug that I'm so proud of is, you know, over the years, so many people said to me, you know, people from the outside, you've got to do this, you've got to do that, you've got to, and the noun, you know, about success, and how many it should sell, and this and that, and I never, never allowed that, because for me, the act of the verb, the act of creating is so profound, and it's so, it's sacred, it's truly, when I create I go to this land that is the most blissful place. It is pure rapture. And that's why I spent most of my childhood in my imagination. Cause it's like, it's just, it's just bliss. And to make it the noun takes it right out of that and brings it into just this awful place. So I would tell them to keep creating for the reason you created in the first place, which is the bliss, the rapture that you feel in your heart and stop thinking. It doesn't matter because the more you do here, the more it will be accepted and resonate.
1: Yeah, thank you. Um, I'm curious, this goes on a little bit with Erica just brought up, but I'd love to talk a little bit about the community that you're also building with this lifelines book. Um, I know that you've created an online community, a space where you, you, part of, you know, now that part of your, I mean, I don't want to define it for you. You can define it for us, but I was going to say purpose or mission or next phase is to share this because when you discovered it, it was that, that aha that you talked about where it's like, wow, for the first time, I don't feel alone. And so now part of your mission with this book is to create this online community where people who may be experiencing the same thing can come and also have that kind of experience. Um, so can you share a little bit with us about
2: that and
1: and just your vision for it?
2: Yes. So the two core tenets of what we're going to do at Lifelines came out of my own experience. The first being, and this was the most profound thing, when I realized that I could take this darkness and didn't have to keep channeling it into more darkness, which I was doing through my initial verses and my music, but I could take darkness and transform it into light through the toys. It was the most profound realization ever. And I realized that we all have the ability to transform our darkness into light. It's actually a little decision that exists right within us. So that's the first thing that we aim to do. We want to take people who are wallowing in darkness, who feel that life isn't worth living, and show them that they have the innate sparks within themselves to bring light into their lives. And then the second piece was when I... Had that first realization, but I said, I still will not find fulfillment until I make the journey within and accept myself in totality, Accept all those disparate pieces that I feel are so weird and, and will never allow me to fit in. They're part of me and I have to accept them in order to accept others. So the second part of it is we've created this incredible journey. We call it the journey to inner space and it will go live um, when our whole ecosystem does in a couple months. Uh, but basically it's this journey that we take toward ourselves. It's our coming home. And, uh, it's, it's pretty incredible because I, this journey is based on my own journey that I've taken the last four years. And it takes you to some pretty interesting twists and turns, but once you come home, there's, there's, you know, there's no place like home. I mean, there, there's no, there's no better feeling.
0: Yes. And this episode is being released um, in March. So I think by then oh, it might be, everything might be arriving at the same time. And um, yes. you you touched on this throughout our whole conversation here. Um, but how my, I'm an air sign, I'm a Libra, how my brain works mm-hmm. is it'll take everything from the beginning. And here we are back at the end. Um, but I was thinking too, throughout this conversation, right? We've mentioned Kate Spade. You mentioned, right, that you didn't want um, to live at certain times throughout this journey. And so many creatives, right? Van Gogh, Robin Williams, these people, right? They do, um, struggle with this. And some people, you know, don't make it to where we are today. So I just wanted to kind of go back to that part of your story as we're talking about lifelines in the book and what, how did you make it through? How have you made it to this point? Was it, professional help? Was it channeling your creativity? How did you get here with that aspect of that really like those serious thoughts of not wanting to live anymore?
2: I love that. You know, I always say a relentless curiosity and ever asking why is the key to innovation and transforming what's awry. And I think in the end, it was my relentless curiosity because those i believe and again i'm no philosopher but through my my little bit of research i believe those that never emerge from existential nihilism they end up taking their lives mm-hmm. because if you stay an existential nihilist you will believe the world has no meaning that your life has no meaning and that is when you you realize there's no point but the fascinating part of those of us who do survive is we end up moving from existential nihilism to existentialism, which is the philosophy that free will, right? We alone, and I I write so many verses about this, we alone possess the power to spend life forevermore, brokenhearted in a cell or walk right out the open door. So meaning like you, you suddenly have this clarity, this aha moment that, wait a second, it's my choice? Like, I don't have to blame the world. You know, we can stay a lowly victim, blaming others for our plight, or start living with intention to make every moment bright. It's that victim mentality. And throughout my darkest days, it was their fault. It was them. It was the world. It was everyone else. The world wasn't fair. Life was doing this to me. And I was a victim. And had I stayed a victim, I would have taken my life. I was this close, um, many times, uh, even had the, bu- the, the bottle of pills like right there. Uh, but I think all the while, I still had this little bit of curiosity that like, there has to be more to this. It can't be that there's no meaning and it's just entirely futile. Like there has to be a reason and I have to somehow find it. So that little bit of curiosity, which is part of the intellectual over excitability, it's that need, that rabid need to make sense. And one of the volumes in the book is curiosity. And it's like, I have such a profound curiosity toward everything um, and, and finding out why things happen the way they do. So I think it was that in the end that saved me because I knew there had to be a why and, thank goodness i found it and you know even existentialists say that there may not be any meaning but nonetheless you are here for a brief time and you better do whatever you can to make it mm. so and and my you know in the book is my favorite quote by gertrude stein which is you know the artist's job is not to succumb to despair but to find an antidote for the emptiness of existence and that's what we do through art that is our meaning We try to bring beautiful things to the world and touch others with them. And if we can do that, we found our little slice of meaning. No, I love that. Thank you for your courage (laughs) and your
0: vulnerability.
2: And your little buddy. I know. <laughs> no, I'm but, sorry. That's no, at home. We, You're hearing the so my my two dogs and my cat are my lifelines. Too. We know so we were, love
0: animals on this podcast. <laughs> no, no, but I just know. wanted to really thank you for your courage and your vulnerability to share all of this with our audience today because I know it's gonna it's helped me. It's gonna help our listeners. And yeah, just it takes so much courage to be vulnerable. So thank you so much.
2: And if anyone wants to talk with me personally, I love that more than anything. I am Melissa Bernstein at lifelines.com. And I am happy. I've been having one-on-one conversations with people who are just struggling. And, you know, I'm no therapist. I'm no doctor, but I've been to the lowest of lows. And sometimes when someone can just say to you, I get exactly what you're feeling, I've been there um, it makes the world of difference. So I would be thrilled to, um, to, to speak with anyone.
1: Well, thank you, Melissa. We really appreciate everything you shared with us today. And as Erica said, and I'll speak for myself, it's been really wonderful for me too. And I really just appreciate it. And, um, I'm really, really getting so much out of your writing too. So I'm going to wow. continue and I can't wait to finish it all. Um, And as we wrap up, you know, we ask all of our guests the same three questions. So I'm going to start. um, How kind of in your daily life now, how do you take care of yourself? Mm -hmm. Do you have a self-care practice or um, any
2: non-negotiables in your day? I love that question. So, you know, one of the volumes in my book is martyrdom. And I spent my whole life serving others and never caring for myself. I was not even on the list. Some say I'm the last on the list. I wasn't even on the list. And I ended up, as you see from the writing, very bitter and angry about it, even though I pretended I wasn't, it was seething inside me. So once I made the choice to choose life, and I truly wrote a verse that says, I choose life, that was a big one. Because once you choose life, you can't be same person you were you can't punish yourself you can't let others punish you you have to take care of yourself so i started then taking care of myself and that means that i answered the question what are my lifelines what are melissa's lifelines that keep her safe and sane and they are a bunch that are non-negotiables one is exercise like i have to exercise every day and it has to be in nature so i believe there's no bad weather, just bad outfits. So no matter what the weather is, I just dress in a few more layers. And I go out there looking like an Eskimo. And um, I walk, I have to be with nature every day. Uh, I love tea. Drinking tea is one of my like incredible lifelines because I love the warmth, something about the comfort of the warmth and like the flavors of delicious like herbal teas. So I make this tea and I drink it like two or three times a day. And I just try to be very present when I'm drinking it. I love music more than anything. And it truly raises my vibrational frequency and I feel it lifting it. So I try to either play or listen to music uh, every day. And I would say connection is also really important because I, as a, you know, creative introvert can tend to get stuck in my head in a deep, dark hole and not emerge. And that's hard to do when you have six children and a lot going on, but I do tend to try to not just the, the normal connection where you're not really connecting to try to sit and talk with one or more of my kids each day and get out of my head and try to empathize with someone else for a change.
0: Thank you so much for sharing those. So beautiful. Our next question that we always ask is what does being courageous mean to you?
2: Oh, that's a deep one. So for me, courageous meant having the courage to make that inward journey and accept myself as imperfect. That took every ounce of my courage because um, that meant that I'm gonna have a lot of negative and ugly emotions and that I'm gonna make mistakes, I'm going to fail, I'm going to do things wrong and I'm gonna have to admit that I'm fallible. And that also involved admitting that I'm mortal. You know, Part of the existential angst is admitting our mortality and that we're not going to be here forever. And that took every ounce of courage I've ever had. So I'm still in the process, but I believe making that journey inward is the most courageous thing any of us can ever do.
1: Thank you. And then the last question is, do you have any book recommendations? You you alluded to this earlier, but um, that have, other than your own, of course, but that have meant something to you throughout your journey.
2: Oh, Yes. I love to read more than anything. I don't have enough time, but reading has been one of the greatest gifts of my life. So it has to start with Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. Um, it's a really powerful book. Uh, then Positive Disintegration by Kamers Dabrowski. He's the one who coined the term overexcitabilities because that was a window into my soul about um, myself and how I was, you know, maybe felt so different, but I really wasn't. Uh, I love the book Originals by Adam Grant. That's an incredible book that really helped me see that creatives aren't, it isn't only about being brilliant. It's about trying more than other people. And I love that because at Melissa and Doug, I have so many failures you know, we probably, I probably created well over 10,000 toys and we only have 2,000 out there now. So 8,000 of them were failures. Uh, and, and he made me feel okay with that and, and showing historically that the more you create, the more you succeed. So I love that. Um, Touched with Fire by Kay Redfield Jamison. Oh, that was one of the best books ever because it talks about creatives throughout history who were afflicted with mental illness and how being melancholy is actually almost a prerequisite for being really creative Mm -hmm. and again validated the fact that i am an often despairing person um let's see what else oh origins of genius by dean simonton another incredible book that talks about just really creative people and what made them creative and sort of helped me to, not that I'm putting myself in that category, but did help me to connect a lot of dots. And he basically had this stat in that book that 87% of poets are depressed. So poetry has the highest affliction of depression of any creative field. And, And he didn't say it, but I read somewhere, rhyming poetry is even higher because it's wow. the need that rabid need for order and and sort of something that is in a box in the the face of so much chaos oh. so i thought that was really incredible and then two more uh, for melissa and doug my favorite book was always play by Stuart brown mm-hmm. because he says that play is essential to hold on to throughout your entire life or you will fall into despair and i love that and i had a chance to meet him and he's an amazing guy Um, And then anything by Osho. I am like a real Osho fan. And um, he speaks to me. He's such a a wise spiritual guru. And um, I I love all his books, too.
0: I love those. I love to read. So I've been like, I'm definitely going to pick some of these up and explore. So in addition to finishing your book, which again is so beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing everything you shared today and being here. Um, so for anyone who wants to find you to buy your book, to follow you on the internet, where online and in bookstores can everyone find you?
2: (laughs) Wow. Thank you for asking. So, uh, we will be on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, our own website, uh lifelines.com you you know any of those places you can get it and um we'd love for you to join our community it's free like this is we have been so fortunate at melissa and doug that all this content this journey it's all free like we this is our this is not our our thing that we're doing for financial reward this is the thing we're doing to give back so um and and please you know you can find me on facebook you can find me i think on instagram all these are new are new are new to me but uh i i would love to connect with anyone that would like to talk to me
1: thank you melissa thank you so much again for being here today we really we've loved this conversation so we really appreciate you thank you
2: i have so many friends who love your podcast so thank you for helping to make this world a better place
1: Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Courageous Wellness. Tune
0: in every Wednesday for a new episode featuring a different guest each week. Subscribe, rate, and write us a nice review. And you can also follow us on Instagram at Courageous Wellness or get in touch via our website, www.courageouswellness.net, where you can also find additional info about our health coaching services, virtual group events, newsletter, and more. Until next week, I'm Allie. And I'm Erica. And we're Courageous Wellness.